All right, so let's be in Judges 16. Now, in this chapter, there's two stories being uh, revealed, being told, and they speak of grace. They both show us the grace of God. In Samson, we see two types. One type is that he is a sinner saved by grace. And the other type that we see is he is a picture for us of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did to save sinners by the grace of God. And this he accomplished in his death and resurrection. Now, in Samson, we see a man who is most peculiar. He's clearly used of the Lord and blessed of the Lord and kept by the Lord. But this man is a sinner. And I remember, oh, I guess it's a, been about 25 years or so, I used to work in a factory with a lot of religious people. They happened to be Spanish Pentecostals, and I was talking with one of them as often we spoke when we had time, and he, he didn't believe that Samson was a child of God because Samson was a sinner. And the man I was speaking to was not a sinner. He made mistakes, he said, but he was not a sinner. And all of God's people are sinners. Sinners saved by grace. And we rejoice in that word. When, when you know what you are, you're thankful that God saves sinners graciously in his darling son. Now, let's remember these three things as we look at Samson here. First, we see that a sinner saved is going to make his boast, and he's going to glory in Christ. He's going to glory in, in Christ for his salvation. He's going to be made to know my strength. My salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. The other thing that we see is that the sinner saved by grace is always growing in the grace and knowledge of his Lord and Savior. We, because of this flesh, because by nature we are sinners, we are humbled and, and brought low. And the Lord uses those times to teach his child. And when we come up out of those dark valleys, we like to think, that we've learned our lesson well, that we've got the hard lesson and we're not going to forget it. And sadly, we, it isn't long before we find ourselves back on our face, seeing how frail, how weak, how foolish we've been and forgotten our God once again, who mercifully and graciously shows us our sin and our need of him and draws us again to himself. And we grow hearing again and again of the grace of our God given freely in Christ. And third, the sinner saved is learning, just as Christ, Christ teaches all his disciples, that without me, ye can do nothing. Nothing. We're, we're learning. I can't do anything. What I think is right, what I think should happen, if I do this, this is what's going to be the result. No. Without Christ, I can do nothing. And so it's a good place to be. We don't like to be there, but it's a good place to be on our face before the throne of God, crying to him, Lord, 
have mercy on me. Save me, Lord. Remember me. I titled this message, Avenged for My Two Eyes. This pattern of Samson as a sinner saved by grace and the type that we see of Samson, of, of the pictures we see in Samson of Christ, our Savior, is witnessed right in the first three verses of this chapter. Let's first read verses 1 and 2. Then went Samson to Gaza, and there and saw there an harlot, and he went in unto her. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson is come hither. And they compassed him in, and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city, and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. Now, first off, let's deal with the elephant in the room, which is Samson is a sinner. He is fornicating with this woman, this harlot. And a lot of people in religion don't like to see their heroes and, and people that they would like to believe are Christians. They don't like to see them stained with the filth of sin. And so some have said, she's not a harlot, she's an innkeeper. Well, if she's an innkeeper, then she's keeping a brothel because the word is that she's a harlot. That's the word that's given. Now, we see a pattern in Samson in these three chapters, 14, 15, and 16. We see this man has an eye for the ladies, and he's got his eye on these women. He had a wife briefly, and now he's with a harlot, and soon he's going to be with Delilah. And these women who as I understand it, are all Philistine women keep turning Samson's eye on them. He's turning their eye to look at them, and and they're alluring and attracting him to themselves. And they picture what sin works in all our hearts, in turning our eye away from the Lord and looking to the things of the flesh. Peter said, brethren, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. That's what sin does. It's a war on our souls. And it's, it's horrible. It's filthy. It's vile. And when we're made to know just how corrupt and vile our sin is, it's very grievous to the people of God. It troubles us. And it should trouble us when we forget and, and I'm thankful for the comfort of our God in Christ because otherwise we'd be driven to utter despair when the Lord shows us just how dark and evil our own hearts are. So like Samson, we're all sinners, and yet Samson is beloved of God. But Samson is a sinner, and he didn't become perfect to attract God. God loved Samson before the foundation of the world, before Samson did any good or any evil. God didn't see something in Samson, no glimmer of light, no goodness in Samson, and said, you know what, I think I'll be kind to this one. I think I'll do him good. No, he saw nothing good in Samson. He saw Christ. And that's what he sees in all his children, is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we come to the Father 
in Jesus Christ the Son. Our flesh is born of corrupt seed in Adam, and the scriptures are showing us we're all sinners. None of us is perfect. None of us is good. None of us can exalt ourselves over another. We can't say, well, because I don't go to harlots, I'm not like Samson. Yes, we are. We're all filthy, vile sinners, and all our sins are an adultery against the true and and living God. We all need the grace and mercy of God. And the way our Lord does that is he reveals himself to the new man, not, not to this flesh, but to the new man which is born of the seed of Christ, the incorruptible seed of Christ. This flesh doesn't do anything good. Nothing good comes from this flesh. It's enmity against the true and living God. But there's a picture here in this harlot and the Philistines that goes deeper than this sin that we see Samson in right here. She's in harlot and she pictures the whore of Babylon. She pictures false religion. Every false way, every lying spirit, every divided tongue, she pictures that which is evil and unrighteousness. What men call righteousness are filthy works to God. They're filthy works to God. And she pictures fleshly religion. And the whore of Babylon, like the whore of Babylon, she pictures the false and evil way, which captures the heart of man, which entices the heart of man and says, ooh, this is interesting. This is different. This is clever. Oh, I never thought about God in that way. And it, it, it mixes up the truth. It just defiles and ruins the truth. It peppers in a few words that we're familiar with, but it's lies. It's false Christs, it's false spirits, it's lying spirits that lead us away from the true and living God so that men are deceived by it and lost forever. Solomon spoke of this harlot in Proverbs 7, saying she's the strange woman which flattereth with her lips. She allures and flatters with her lips and draws you in. You know what you need to know. You're a good person. You've done things pretty good. Come, come join us. Be with us, says the false and lying spirit. Solomon said her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. You know, go over to Revelation 17. Let's see it. Revelation 17, and we'll pick up in verse 4. And this is where John writes of the whore of Babylon. And... Listen to his description of her. And the woman, verse 4, was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. She's just multiplying, right? The inventions of men going through the earth... When people hear of this sin, it just doubles and triples into new and and worse things, just getting more and more corrupt. It's just filthiness of fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. She's every false and lying way. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs, of Jesus Christ. 
if you don't go along with her, if you don't cave and, and, and make concessions, a few concessions here and just put up with that over there, she'll put you to death. As Paul said, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. They will. <clears throat> now, he says here, verse 6, I'm sorry, yeah, at the end of verse 6, he said, And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. That's how alluring, how attractive the false and lying way is, how appealing she is, that the Apostle John wondered at her with great admiration. That's the deceitfulness of the false way. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? Oh, it just cuts us in the heart. Cuts me in the heart. Because I'm reminded, I'm, I see the weakness of this flesh and how easily enticed our eyes are taken away from Christ and him who is most precious, him who is fairer than 10,000. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's the one that we need. And there's so many distractions in this world that take our eye off of him, the eye of faith off him. For false Christs, our Lord said, and false prophets shall arise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. We don't keep ourselves. The grace of God keeps us. We need Him. We need the grace of God always. We're never too big. We never outgrow Christ. All spiritual blessings are given to us in Christ. That's where the Lord keeps His people. He brings them into Christ. He blesses them in Christ ever. He's our salvation. Now, these Gazites are Philistines, and we know that the Philistines are a picture of the sin in our hearts. They picture, they, they represent all manner of sin and folly and foolishness that we in our flesh do. That's what the Philistines are. <clears throat> and we're told that they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city and were quiet all the night saying, in the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. You see, our sin is quiet in the night. It's not making a lot of noise. It doesn't want to disturb you too much. It wants to keep you sleeping. And so it doesn't ruffle many feathers. It, it, it just keeps you, it's content for you to lie there in absolute darkness not knowing the great danger that you are in. It'll just keep you lying there asleep. In nature's night, we're not troubled by sin. We're not afraid of sin. We touch it and handle it and do with it all the time and think we're fine in night, in the night. We're not worried about it. How many are compassed about with their sin and lie and utter darkness, unaware of just how great a danger they're in. Our Lord says, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. In that bright and glorious morning, 
when the dead shall arise and stand in the brilliance of the light of our God and Savior. And we stand before holy God seated on the great white throne of judgment and the books will be set and opened and everything that we thought was hidden deep in the recesses of our dark hearts and minds will all be brought to laid bare in the brilliant light of the eye of God. And then, that poor wretched soul who has no covering for their sin, all those sins that they thought, this isn't so bad, and the things that we justify and and explain away as really not being bad, in that day before the all-seeing eye of God, then you'll know. I didn't see it that way. But now, I can't hide from my sin. And you have no place to run, and you have no covering for your sin, you that mock Christ this day and have no heart or desire for Him and do not believe Him. And your sins will be will carry the wicked away into everlasting habitations of death. And so we read in John three nineteen and 20, This is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. And all the sins of the Philistines in the hearts of men will be laid bare in that day. And they'll be reproved in that day when Christ returns. And you won't have help, and they'll flee from you, and you'll be left standing there to die in your sins, that second death. But the word of faith, which we preach, speaketh on this wise, If thou shalt confess with thy tongue the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You shall answer for no sins, because Christ answered those sins for his child, and covered them with his blood, and put them away forever, blotting them out, From the book, you shall stand before God, before his throne, faultless. He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. God hath done this. God hath put away the sins of his people. God hath delivered his people from all the Philistines, those sins of our heart, and those vile things that we've done. This great victory of Christ's death on the cross and resurrection from the grave is pictured for us here in verse 3. Let's look at Judges 6.3. And Samson lay till midnight and arose at midnight. Now when I read this, I thought of Mary Magdalene who went very early to the sepulcher of her Lord. John telling us when it was yet dark. When it was yet dark, when you and I were yet in our sins, yet dead in Adam, spiritually dead knowing nothing, thinking that we were something and yet full of sin and ruin and and ripe for death, Christ came and laid down his life willingly as the surety of his people to pay their sin debt to deliver them from the hands of justice, to make us righteous in his own blood 
to present us faultless before the throne of God, saying, Behold, I and the children whom thou hast given me, here they are, Lord, spotless, blameless, unreprovable, without wrinkle or fault, a beautiful bride that you gave to me. Here she is, Lord. I've redeemed her with my own blood. We see here Christ arising from the dead. And it says, Samson took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders and carried them up to the top of an hill that is before Hebron. Do you not see Christ and what he did in laying down his life and being buried in the tomb? How that he bore us on his shoulders and carried us up to the throne of God faultless. He did the whole thing, defeating all our foes, destroying all our sins and its power over us and delivering us from darkness and brings us into the light of his grace and glory. Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and upon this rock, he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're built and founded upon Jesus Christ, the foundation stone. He's the mighty Savior. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords that delivered his people. So that we don't look to our works anymore. We're not looking to our good works and our religion and trying to cleanse our filthy hands of our filthy works. We rest in Christ. We trust him. We believe him. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says... For as much then as the children, that's you and me who believe Christ, as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. When we were awakened by our sin, we strove, we labored, we spent trying to clean ourselves, and it didn't work. And we were afraid because we knew I've not done enough. But Christ came and put that all away by the death of himself. And his resurrection testifies that we in Christ are justified. Justified, righteous before God in him. So don't be distracted when you read of Samson. Don't be distracted by the sin that you see. What it's saying to us is, you and me, all our works are filthy. We're just, we're sinners like Samson. He's showing us we cannot save ourselves. God has provided the Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. Believe him. Next, being delivered in such a glorious fashion, believers do find themselves thinking, especially new believers, when we've been so high and so lifted up, rejoicing in what Christ has done, we think, I can't ever see myself sinning again. I don't think I'll ever be brought low again. I'm so thankful. I'm so joyful. I can't believe what God has done for me. But it isn't before long that we see what vile, wretched sinners we are in this flesh. All we have to do is look at the scriptures. You think about what Noah saw. And yet it wasn't long before he sinned, becoming drunk. And you think about Abraham and what he knew of the true and living God. And yet how he stumbled and took the, the nursemaid of Sarah and lay with her. And you think of David and the horrible sins that he committed. 
and uh, the stumble of, of Isaiah and Elijah, thinking, running from a woman after God had given him such a great victory. And even Peter, who walked with the Lord, who saw him and heard him speak, and knew him as a friend. And yet he betrayed his Savior three times. Three times. And so we see how quickly we forget how slow learners we are. That's probably the biggest lie I ever put on a resume. Fast learner. No, I'm not. I'm not a fast learner. I learn things very slowly, and I thank God for his patience with me, as do all you, my brethren. O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. That's, that's me. That's me. Being delivered from the Gazites with a mighty show of strength, it wasn't long at all before Samson's eye was turned again to another woman, another Philistine woman. More sin. Look at verse 4. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And so the Philistines of the heart, just like in our own heart, were ready. Oh, here we go. We got them. We got him back. We got him. Let, let's, let's destroy him now. Verse 5, And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said unto her, Entice him, and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And we will give thee every one of us 1,100 pieces of silver. And so the temptation started coming, and they just kept on coming and come in time and time again, tempting Samson to deny that God is his strength and his salvation and the hope of glory. First John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. These are the things that come from our own heart. These are the things that carry us and lead us away. And it's a very dangerous game that we play because we think we have our sin, our pet sins under control and that we can handle them and that we can put them back in the box whenever they're getting out of hand. And we think we got a good handle on it until we realize we don't. We don't. And there's been many people who have thought they could keep their sin under control and have learned the hard way, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. And if not for the grace of God, we'd be lost forever. We'd be lost forever. We would be the ones with that conscience seared as with a hot iron. And we would not be turned by the grace of our God to him again. And so we need the grace of God. Now look at verse 16 and 17. Let's drop down there. It came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. That's what we're doing. The, the, the lust we partake in make war against the soul. And she was, he was vexed unto death that he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head. For I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now the significance of Samson's hair. Samson's strength is the Lord. That's, that's the strength of every believer. It's Christ. 
My faith is not my strength. It's, it's Christ who gave me the faith. Faith is, is how I understand and know the peace of God, have peace with him and, and understand and see Christ is all my righteousness. He's my righteousness. And so this hair of Samson, it's a symbol of his relationship. It's a, it's a visible symbol that he is the Lord's. And what you'll notice is that after many successes and, and Samson being used of the Lord and doing many mighty works, he begins to be confident in his works. And he becomes proud. And he thinks, I've got this now. I'm doing well. I, I do some mighty things. The Lord's blessing me and I'm, I'm working and I'm doing what's right and, and I can do anything anything. And so after she has his hair shaved, we read in verse 20, she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. I think what he was saying there is, is he understood something's not right, but I'm going to go and put on a show and act like I got this thing. I'm going to shake myself and roar and flex and and wield things, and, and they'll run. But they didn't, because it says here, he knew not that the Lord was departed from him. And I was thinking about that the Lord departed from him. You know, Paul makes a very bold statement about believers in Philippians 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. And our Lord tells us, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And so we understand from the scriptures that the Spirit of God, which is given unto us, never leaves us. He dwells with his children always. Even when we sin, we grieve him, because he never leaves us. He stays with his people and doesn't depart from them. But what the Lord will do for his child is for their good. And he'll be gracious to them. He'll be gracious to them. And, he, and so he'll chasten his child. That we learn not to touch that thing again. That we remember, <laughs> I better not go there. And the Lord, he's the one that keeps us. Because we've been back there before. And, and it's the Lord that, that keeps us. But he will chasten us. And he will teach us. To, to, and draw us to himself again as often as it's needed. And so when it describes Samson as, or the Lord as having departed from Samson, it's speaking of that visible display of strength. That left him. The Lord didn't leave him. He's still a child of God, but he didn't have that visible display of strength. He was being humbled. He was being brought low in himself. He was being put on on his face with his teeth in the gravel. And so God is gracious. He'll be gracious to whom he will be gracious. And that means he's not going to leave you, his child, looking away from him and trusting a false way. He's not going to turn you over to the whore of Babylon to go off with her. He's always going to deliver you and bring you back to himself in mercy and grace. This is why we rejoice in Christ. Why we preach Christ? Because he's always drawing his people back to himself. He's always healing and comforting and giving rest and peace to his child. 
in Christ. Not because we've repented of this sin and stopped doing that thing. No, he, he, he gives us that hope and faith and confidence in him by his grace. By his grace, he does it. And so we preach Christ. And so his chastening serves to turn our eye to Christ again. Now verse 21, But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. That grinding is a millstone. He was milling grain which was not going to be bread for him. It wasn't going to fill his belly. He was spending and laboring, just like we do in sin and in the false way, for bread which does not satisfy. He had no peace in him. He was grinding away. And that's what the Lord will will allow his child to do. Just like the prodigal son. He was there feeding slop to pigs that were eating better than he was. And it was a while before the scriptures say he came to himself. And he came to himself and asked the question, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? And that prodigal son was brought to confess his sin and, and to, to own what he is before the Lord and ask him for mercy. And it says he arose and came to his father. And that's what the Lord was doing with Samson here. And what he does with us. There's many times where I, I have seen me wasting time trying to fix and get right and, and, and rework and redo things that I can see my hand of flesh in it that is ruined and messed up. And I just keep flailing around until the Lord stops me and brings me to see, um, look to me. Look to me, child. Stop doing what you're doing and look to me. Trust me. Cry out to me. And behold what I do for my people. Look at, look, look to me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. Now this is being done here in verse 22 with, with Samson. Look at that. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. The Lord softened. Samson's heart. The Lord restored that peace and that fellowship with God. He brought the hair back. He he began to grow that and Samson began to think on the Lord. I have no doubt. No doubt. There in that low spot praying and quietly crying to the Lord. Now Samson's fleshly eyes were put out. And what we see in that is Samson now had to walk by faith. Samson had no visible sight. He had no ability in the flesh anymore to see. He now walked by faith. And that's the picture there. And so the day comes in verse 28 where Samson's brought into a place where the Philistines would mock him. They would make sport of him. They would tease him and make him look like a fool. And make him just look look foolish and, and humiliate him even more while they were sacrificing to their false deity, Dagon. And we read in verse 28, Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines 
for my two eyes. Now, (laughs) Samson's eyes were a great trouble to him. His eyes were a great trouble to him. And he had some double vision. He had double vision, and that was a snare to him time and time again. He was snared by his eyes. Now, don't miss what we see here is that by nature, we have these same two eyes as Samson. We get snared, and our sight is taken off of Christ time and time again and looks to those things which are not profitable. And the wrath and vengeance of God should have fallen on me. For my sins. And the wrath and vengeance of God should have fallen on you. For your sin. To repay you according to the debt of sin that you owe to holy God. I should have been destroyed. Yet God in mercy sent his darling son. Who laid down his life. Who took the place of his children. And bore the wrath of God bearing our sin in his own body, and and he took the wrath of God in himself, giving his life to pay, to to make payment, to satisfy the justice of God, to satisfy the law of God for his people, because we cannot keep the law ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. So, the Lord did that for us, and removed that bondage of us. In grace and mercy, he strips us. He brings us low, revealing the grace and mercy that he has for sinners in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he brings that to our hearts. He shows us our need. And we come to Christ as our Savior. Lord, save me. Remember me, Lord. Don't pass me by, Lord. Have mercy upon me. And so by taking vengeance on his own darling son, who suffered the wrath of God for us, we are delivered and saved in Christ. And that's what we see in these next verses. Look at verse 29 and 30. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on which it was borne up, and of the one with his right hand, and of the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And so in this death of Samson, we see the death of Christ, our Savior, who laid down his life to slay, to put away all the Philistines of our heart, all the sins of our heart which separated us from God. And he had all his people in himself so that we died with him and are delivered from our sins. We see in this death what we read of of Christ. Paul said, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And when Samson took hold of those two pillars, the one on his right hand and the other on his left and said, let me die with the Philistines. We see Jesus. We see Christ, the Savior. 
With whom, with him, they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith he was numbered with the transgressors. And Jesus cried with a loud voice, John saying, he said, it is finished. The price has been paid. I've ransomed my people from the pit. I've redeemed them with my own blood. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost to save his people. Dying with sinners like us to put away our sin. To present us righteous and holy to our God. In his death all the might and power and strength of sin seen in those Philistine lords. They died. They had no power. And... The others that were crushed there were all the people that were therein. We in Christ died with him so that the law has no more strength, no word to say to us, nothing to say to us. The justice of God is satisfied. God is at peace with his people. That's why he sent Christ to reconcile us unto himself, that we might know the true and living God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we can now say with the saints of God, I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We see Jesus having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. (laughs) He put all our enemies, all our foes to shame. It's all on display. Nothing's hidden. God did it in broad daylight to deliver his people, to know he's the salvation of God. That's the one I need. Lord, save me. Help me. Have mercy on me, Lord. All who cry to him, all who ask him, he's a merciful and gracious Savior and cleanses the sin of all his people who who cry to him, who ask him. So the life of every believer we see is just like Samson. In his life, we are sinners. You that believe in Christ are sinners saved by grace. And because of the greatness and the strength and glory of our Savior Jesus Christ, we see we don't have anything to boast of but him. He's our boast. He's the one that we tell others of what he's done for me. What he's done for a sinner like me. Encourage them to come and and hear, to, to, to look to Christ. Our Lord draws his people graciously through the word preached and grafting that word that speaks of Christ and what he's done to accomplish our salvation. That's how he blesses his people. That's where he meets with his people in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. I pray, I pray bless that word to your hearts, brethren. Amen.